And so, like Mr. Warren said, my name's Pastor Maddie. If you don't know who I am, I am the kids' pastor. And when pastor is away or doing ministry elsewhere or sick, he gives me the opportunity to preach to you guys, which I always love because I love, love, love the kids. But sometimes it's nice to preach to the adults. But if you haven't been back in the kids' church, I will use this opportunity to say you are missing out. We have a lot of great kids back there. I think the kids are probably some of the greatest people in this church. And a lot of the times they get overlooked because they are so small and they are kids. But I know Pastor told you a couple Wednesdays ago that one of our little boys has been telling people about Jesus and inviting them to church at recess. And he got in trouble with his teacher because she said that it was a waste of time to be telling people about Jesus at recess. So I want to challenge you, if a 10-year-old little boy can do that in the fifth grade at school, at recess, and worry about getting in trouble, then why are we so afraid to share the gospel when we don't have to worry about going to detention or getting a phone call home just out in everyday life? They have to worry about it, which is crazy, but they don't care. They say, no, my job is to tell people about Jesus, so that's what I'm going to do. And they use every opportunity they can. So we have some great kids, and they're funny kids. And I told them that I wouldn't do this, but I wanted to share some of the, the cute, funny things that they've said. So we were talking about rejoicing, like, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And Pastor Kevin and Miss Janine's granddaughter, Savannah, raises her hand when I ask them, what do you guys think rejoice means? And she goes, well, you know, sometimes you lose your joyce. And when you find it again, you rejoice. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. That's what she thought rejoice means. You lose your joyce. So every time, every time I'm feeling down, I'm like, man, I lost my joyce. Let me find it so I can rejoice. We had another, another little boy, the one, um, one that we pick up. We were talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit in the Bible is often a dove. And I said, what do you think a dove means? What does a dove represent? And one little girl says, oh, the Holy Spirit. So this little boy says, you mean that every time I take a bath and I wash myself in dove body wash, I got the Holy Spirit all over me? I said, yes. Yes, you do. Every time you wash with dove, you got that Holy Spirit all over you. So now he thinks that he's walking with the Holy Spirit because he's got dove body wash. I say, you just pray when you're in the bath, and yes, you have that dove all over you. And the last one, we have a little girl. We were singing Amazing Grace. And she looks at me. She goes, Pastor Maddie, I don't want to be a wrench. And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm thinking, oh, a wretch. And I was about to tell her, no, 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 it's a wretch. And she says, I want to be a nail. Jesus died with a nail. I want to be a nail because he holds things together. It holds things together. I don't want to be a wrench. I said, okay, then you, you go ahead. You be a nail. I said, but the word is actually a wretch. And then I explained what that means. But she was just so upset because she thought, I don't want to be a wrench. I want to be a nail because Jesus died on the cross with nails and holds things together. So if you don't know our kids, Please get to know them. Spend some time with them. They are the greatest kids in the world, and I'm so honored to be able to minister to them. They're not just, they're little guys, but the things that they talk about, the questions they ask, and the maturity and the passion that they have, especially for prayer, are amazing because they have that faith that when they pray, God is going to do it. They remind me sometimes to, oh, Pastor Maddie, we need to pray for this person. We prayed for them last week. I have a friend who has like five brain tumors, and we've been praying for her. And last week I forgot. They said, oh, no, Pastor Maddie, we need to pray for your friend. She called me this week and said that the doctors are still saying that it's a miracle she's alive because she has so many inoperable tumors. So those kids have been praying for this friend, and they believe that God's going to heal them. So please get the time to know our kids because they truly are a blessing, and they will teach you so, so much. So back to this. I'm going to preach you a message today called Lit Up. I was going to title it Get Lit, but that's kind of, that's like what my kids at school say. So it's called Lit Up. And we're going back to the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3, only six verses, verses 1 through 6. Yeah, usually I preach from the New Testament, but we're going, we're going Old Testament today. And I use, I use the New King James. My family's Southern. They always use, always use the King James. 
They always use the King James. So we're coming out of the new King James. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. God, I thank you for the words you're going to give today. I thank you that you've given it to me to preach to these people, to these wonderful people. God, let my, your words come out of my mouth that everyone will benefit from this. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you've ever heard me preach before, you know I really like to talk about purpose. Because truly, I think it's one of the biggest problems in the world is that purpose is so elusive to so many people. Everyone in the world is trying to discover their purpose. Even the kids in the back. That's why I tell them all the time, no, no, you're made for a purpose. You're made for a purpose. We have so many kids now, and even adults with with self-esteem issues. They think that they were a mistake, that they're here on accident, that nobody loves them. And we just drill into them, no, you were made for a purpose. God does not make mistakes. God does not make accidents. You are here for a purpose. And everyone in the world is trying to discover what their purpose is. Everyone wants to know why they were made. And most people spend their entire life trying to do the what without ever discovering the why. And you know, you will always be upset if all you do is what after what after what after what without ever discovering why you need to do it. Purpose is the why of your life. The fact that you are here now in this season means that God did not make a mistake. You weren't meant to walk with Jesus. You weren't meant to dance with David. You weren't meant to be with Moses as he parted the Red Sea. God looked through eternity and saw this spot right now and saw the eternity that's in you. And he said, this is where I'm planting them. This is where I need them. You are not a mistake. And the only thing God requires of you is to discover your purpose. And when you discover who you are, you'll discover who you aren't. Once you discover who you are, you'll, dis- you'll find out, well, I don't need these people. I don't need to be doing this. I don't need, need to be doing that because that's not benefiting my purpose. That's not benefiting the call that God has placed on my life. So I'm just going to shove that out of the way because, excuse me, I'm on my way over here because God has this for me. Because nobody knows their purpose, we compete with each other instead of complete each other. Because we're just wandering around. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be doing? Why is this person doing the same thing as me? We're competing. We're constantly fighting to be, to be better, to be greater than the other person. Instead of completing each other and working together to fulfill the greatest purpose, which is to spread the gospel. God has given each of us a specific task in your purpose. And purpose needs two things. The first thing it needs is passion. Find the thing that you're passionate about. What are you most passionate about? Because, you know, God won't call you to do something that he didn't give you the fuel of passion to discover. If you are passionate about the homeless and every time you see a homeless person on the side of the road, that passion of, I got to help, I got to help, that's your passion. (laughs) Sorry, I've been fighting a cold like all week. So let's pray that I can get through this without coughing. And if I need to take a water break, just excuse me. If you want to find your purpose, find your passion. Stop doing things that you have no passion for. If every day you're spending all your time doing something that you're not passionate about, what's the point? That's the problem. We get so comfortable doing things that we have no passion for. Then it just becomes monotonous and daily, and we get stuck in the routine, and then we don't want to go outside of our comfort zone. So we stay with it even though we know it's draining. You come home every day, 
and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to do this again tomorrow. It's the same thing every day because there's no passion. And I get that we do what we have to do to survive. But when there's no passion, we lose something. Paul didn't say these many things I do. Paul said this one thing I do. Paul knew his passion. And that is all that he did. The other thing that purpose needs is a problem. Your purpose isn't tied to a platform. It's not just the preacher that has the purpose of saving souls. It's not this podium. It's not this stage. The platform is not your purpose. The platform is not my purpose. The platform is not Pastor Kevin's purpose. The purpose is out there. Do you know so many moves of God just get squandered because people think that the purpose is just stuck inside this building? And you know how many people in heaven or the angels in heaven are saying, man, I wish that they would just take this outside. Take it outside. You can say we're having a great move of God, but nobody's getting saved because everyone in here is already saved. (laughs) What's the point? You can have all the passion in the world, but if you don't take it outside these four walls, what good is it doing? If you want to discover your purpose, find the problem that you have been specifically called to solve. So when you pray, ask God, God, what did you send me here to solve? What problem am I sent to solve? Everything that was ever created was created to solve a problem. You know, years and years ago, we had a problem with, I don't know what time it is. How can I know what time it is during the day? So someone decided, I'm going to invent this thing called a watch. And what did the watch do? The watch was created for the purpose of solving the problem of not being able to know what time it is. Clothes. Clothes were created for the purpose of, we all come into this world with no clothes. Is anyone thankful that someone decided, I'm going to create clothes? Yes. There are so many different types of clothes, but aren't you grateful that someone decided, I'm going to solve the problem of nudity and create clothes for people to wear. Everything that's ever created was created to solve a problem. And the fact that God created you for right now, not then, means that if you can locate the problem and you're still sitting here and you're not dead, you are not six feet under, you are living and you are breathing, it means that God still has a plan for you. So what problem is your life called, caused to, called to solve? And you're not going to like me, but just coming to church doesn't solve the problem. Going to First Friday prayer in two weeks doesn't solve the problem. Going to your connect group tonight does not solve the problem. You know what a problem solver looks like? A problem solver looks like when you're driving to Publix and you see drug addicts and you say, they need Jesus. They need to be delivered from that. When you're driving by the hospital and you think, I wonder if any of those people in there have been prayed for today. That is the mindset of a problem solver. A not a problem solver is someone that just sits here on Wednesday and Sunday and thinks that that solves the problem. Looking at going through a bad neighborhood and seeing teenagers and kids on the road thinking, they can be in church. Let me go talk to them. Let me, let me evangelize to them. Sitting in your office. Maybe there's someone at your office thinking, man, do I really know Jesus? What is this Jesus everyone's talking about? And you're walking through the door saying, I wonder if someone in here wants to know about Jesus. That's a problem solver. When you solve your problem, your purpose is released. Just because you know your purpose doesn't mean you're ready for it, though. There's a difference between knowing your why and doing your why. Because there's something that has to come first. You know your problem. When you figure that out, say, God, I know what you want me to solve now. Your purpose is released but you can't just do it. There's something that's a precursor, and that thing is called preparation. If you can do it quick and all by yourself, it's not God. If you just decide, oh, God, this is my purpose, and then 10 seconds later, you've already solved it, you solved the problem, everything's done, great. What now? That's not God. Purpose is the why of your life, and it takes time. Everything God does to make a great change takes time. 
Why do you think we have seeds? Why didn't God just create stalks of corn? Why didn't God just create flowers as they are? There's seed. There's a harvest time. But we just want to jump from seed to harvest real quick. And when we jump from seed to harvest, that's why we don't have any harvest. Because we're just trying to microwave it. That doesn't work. That's why you have to plant seeds. And what do you have to do? You have to wait. Because during that time under the ground, what you can't see is that that seed is taking root. That seed is growing. That seed is digging down into the ground and growing upward. Because it's not ready yet to be harvested. One of the greatest prayers you can pray is, God, use me. But one of the most powerful prayers you can pray is, God, prepare me. We don't like to hear that because preparation takes time. And in our world today, that's not something that we like to do. We don't like to wait. We want it now, 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 now. But when God does stuff, when God's preparing you, it takes time. Look at all the people in the Bible. Look at David. Samuel anointed David when he was a little boy. Look how long he had to wait to become king. God was preparing him. We're talking about Moses. Moses was 40 when he got sent out into this desert. 40. And then what? All these people that took time. When Noah built the ark, did he build the ark like that? No. It took a long time. I'm I'm sure Noah would have loved to have, you know, a crane and a whole construction crew and everything we have now, tractors to pull everything, but he didn't. It took time. Even Jesus didn't start his ministry until his 30s. Even Jesus, the son of God, God was preparing him. And where did God send him? He sent him into a desert to prepare him. Jesus. Even Jesus went through a preparation period. We just so much want a fast microwave version of our destiny, but that's not how God works. And preparation is never time wasted. We always think, oh my gosh, how much more do I have to do? Why, 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 why is this taking so long? It's not a waste of time, I promise you. God doesn't do wastes of time. He doesn't. Everything God does, God already knows your future. He can see all of eternity. You know, I don't have kids. So I always like to bring my dog into my sermon because, you know, pastors always use their kids. So I always find a way to put my dog in my sermon. So my border collie, she knows her purpose. She's figured that out. Yeah, my dog, Skye. Her job is to get the sheep and bring them to me. That's her job. I take her sheep herding. She has found her purpose. And in the sheep herding world, there's these things called sheepdog trials. And like the nationals are on right now. So I go home and I watch the nationals from Nevada. So they're competitions for all the sheepdogs. And you find like the best sheepdogs. I want her to do that someday. She's almost two. So she's in a stage of preparation. Because if I took her to a sheepdog trial now, she would get disqualified in the first five seconds. Because she's not ready. Would I love to just be like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go to the sheepdog trial. My dog is great. She's going to win this. That would be great, yeah. But it's not practical. There's preparation that she has to do. There's preparation that I have to do. She's not ready. It could take years for her to be ready. And that's okay, because I know it's not time wasted. While we're working together as a team, we're building a bigger bond. She's learning more things. I'm learning more things. It's never time wasted. And yes, my dog, she talks. She has a Facebook page. She talks. She has buttons. She has like 40 words, and she'll put together sentences. So while while we're hurting, we got back from hurting yesterday, and she said, Mommy, want farm? I'm like, no, we just got back from the farm. So then she'll say, sky angry. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. We can't go back to the farm. But this time of preparation is so crucial for her and so crucial for me because we're not ready for it. She's not ready to fulfill her purpose. She knows it, but she can't fulfill it yet because she's just not ready. She needs preparation. Without preparation, 
your platform can become a curse. So if you want your destiny to be cut short, do something you're called to do unprepared. Can you imagine if pastor's like, hey, Maddie, I want you to preach when I'm in Denmark. And I showed up this morning, and I was like, well, guys, sorry, I've had a busy week at work. I, I didn't prepare anything, so let's just wing it. You know what an opportunity wasted that is? That's why you have to submit to not only the calling, but the preparation. And anytime you walk in preparation, God has many tools to do it. Anytime God begins to prepare you, he'll drive you out of your comfort zone and what you know. And we don't like to hear that because we like to be comfortable. We like where we are. We like what we do every day. We like the people we know. We like our routine. I like my routine too, believe me. But when God is starting to prepare you for something great, he's going to make you uncomfortable. Because why? Because then you have to depend on him and not other people. So next time your life starts going crazy, stop complaining and stop praising because maybe God is taking you to the next level. Like, who's had a rough week? I know Mr. Warren said he's had a rough week. I'm sure everyone in here has had a time when their life has been absolutely crazy. But how mad do you think the devil would get if he's like, oh, man, this is going wrong. This is going wrong. This is going on. Great. I got him. And instead, you said, thank you, God, for the chaos, because maybe you're going to use it to bring me to the next level in you. Maybe this is just part of my preparation to take me to the next part of my purpose. So I challenge you that next time you, your life is in complete chaos, start praising God and see how much better it starts to get because then the devil's going to back off and go, whoa, all this is going on and they're still praising God? Keep doing it. Chaos is not sent to destroy you, but to deliver you. See, Moses had been living a life of comfort for a while. He was living in the palace. He knew the Pharaoh. He had all the nice clothes. He had servants. He was living the high life. He was comfortable. Until he wasn't. He's got wealth. He's in with the Pharaoh. No one can tell him what to do. But then God says, Moses, that's not what I called you to do. I haven't called you to live in the palace I've called you to deliver your people from the palace. And all of a sudden, Moses' life starts to go crazy. And you think your life is crazy. Moses killed a man. So any chaos you've got going on, Moses killed a man. So his chaos was pretty extreme. But what was God doing? God was shoving him out. Because God knows we will stay longer than we should and forfeit our destiny if something does not move us. So when God begins to prepare you, he will shove you out of that comfort zone. And God, I'm sorry, but God is not going to drive you right into a five-star resort. He's not. He's not going to take you from one place and drive you to like the Ritz. It's not going to happen. You'll get driven into dry places and weary places and lifeless places. But if God be with me, I will not fear because you know that you are not going to be alone in those places. Because you get to that place where everything else is gone and you have to depend on God and God alone. So Moses was driven into a lonely place, the backside of a desert. Can you think of any place more lonely? Are you standing in a place where there seems to be no life, no getting out, no purpose? Are you starting to get tired and weary Because you once had it all, and now it seems like you've been driven out into nothing. Maybe God's saying, this is your place of preparation. But why would God drive someone to a place like that? Why did he drive Moses to the backside of a desert? Why did he drive Jesus into the desert? Because If you know anything about photography, I don't, but my sister does. She's a pretty good photographer. But everybody knows that you can't develop the negatives in light places. God loves you so much that he's not going to put your negatives in public places. 
God's not going to embarrass you. When you're called to fulfill a purpose for God, he's not going to prepare you in a public place where everyone can see all your negatives getting worked through. He loves you too much for that. He's not going to embarrass you. Photographers, they take the negatives behind closed doors and they work them out. Maybe you've got too many things and you need to go to the desert. Maybe you, your negatives are so great that God says, look, come with me. We're going to get out of the public. We're going to get out of the people calling you names. We're going to get out of people judging you, people making fun of you. You're not going to make a fool of yourself because I got you. Let's work it out together. He'll take you to the end of the desert so he can deal with all the negatives that you've got. Maybe you're in church on Sunday, but you're cussing on Monday. You're smoking on Thursday. You're drinking on Friday. Are you thankful for a God that knows how to develop your negatives? Oh, come on, church. That was pathetic. Are you thankful for a God that knows how to develop your negatives? There we go. Remember, I'm a kid's pastor. The kids talk back to me. So talk back. Praise God for what he's doing. If you're in that chaos place, praise him. So let's do this. Why don't we take about 10 seconds? Because I know everyone in here has got at least one problem that they're going through right now. One thing that's chaotic. Why don't you stand up, take 10 seconds, and praise God in the chaos. Let's give the devil a black eye for a minute. Because God is in control. He's using this as preparation. Yeah, see, now now the devil's getting mad. Because you're taking that problem that you've got. And you're saying, God, yeah, yeah, develop my negatives. This is a place of preparation. There we go. That was better. So we're thankful for a God that knows how to develop our negatives. God didn't let Moses walk out in public until he had developed him in private. Could you imagine if right after Moses killed that Egyptian, God said, okay, so now I need you to go to the Pharaoh's palace and say, hey, Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. How do you think that would have worked out? Moses would have been like, what? Moses needed that time of preparation. And he was 40 years old when God drove him into the desert. So a lot of people would say, you know, 40, like that's my prime, right? So Moses is probably thinking, man, I'm in my prime. I'm in the palace. This is great. A lot of us, I mean, I'm not 40, I'm 29, but a lot of people is like, yeah, 40s. Every time I, when I would talk to my grandparents, I'm like, what age would you do? Would you want to go back to? What do you think was like the greatest time period of your life? Usually they say like their late 30s, 40s. They say that's the prime of their life. But you know how many people, how many people do things later than the prime of their life? So God was telling Moses, Moses, this isn't your prime. This is preparation. Do you trust God to make the next 40 years the greatest 40 you've ever had? So in the kingdom of God, you can be 95 and still, still fulfill your purpose. God doesn't care about age. Are you kidding me? He called David when he was a kid. Look how long some of the people in the Bible lived and didn't even do anything until they were like in their hundreds. You can, as long as you are still breathing, God can still use you to fulfill a purpose. Your greatest days are still coming to your life. If you're 85 and you think, man, God, what are you going to use me for? It's not over yet. My grandma always used to say that the earth isn't your retirement plan. Heaven is. So God can still use you as long as you're still here. We're not retiring here. We can, maybe we can retire from our, you know, our secular job that we work, but our retirement plan is not here. Our retirement plan is heaven and the work isn't done on earth until God tells you it is. So if you are 95 and you're thinking, man, come on, God, God will do it. God doesn't care about your age. There is a blessing in the desert. You're alone. Thinking, man, how is alone a blessing? Because if God is going to use your isolation as your initiation, he'll bless you by leaving you alone. That means there's no outside voices. 
Nobody doubting you, nobody hurting you, no tragedies, no pain. Moses was out there with his new family. That's it. Because what people are going to, you know, want to live at the end of a desert, like the worst part of the desert? Not many. Not many. When God gets rid of all those other voices, it's only so he can make sure that his is the loudest. And did you know that the only preparation that we're not privy to, that we don't know how God did it, is Moses's? We know how John the Baptist, God prepared John the Baptist, locusts and honey. We know about Elijah and Elisha, how God prepared them. We know about Jesus. But Moses, there's 40 years that are left out of the Bible. How did God prepare Moses in 40 years? We don't know. I'm like, why, God? Why would you leave that out? That's a long time. Because God doesn't want you to compare your preparation with somebody else's. Your preparation is unique to you because your destiny is unique to you. So God wasn't going to prepare Moses the same way he was going to prepare John the Baptist. Because Moses had a different calling than John. Elijah and Elisha had a different calling than Moses. So why would God prepare you the same way? God says, Moses, I'm preparing you because your destiny is unique to you. So when you're going through a dry place and God's preparing you for something, and then you look at your neighbor and God's doing something completely different with them, don't compare yourself. Because then it goes back to we're just competing with each other instead of completing each other. We're all called to do something different. If we were all called to do the same thing, how terrible would... Would it be here? It would be super boring. If we're all called to do the same exact thing, no. So God is about to put the final touches on what he's preparing. So Moses is out there in the desert. He's got a bunch of sheep, takes them to the backside of the desert. Pretty boring, but God has his reasons. Because while God was preparing a man... He had already prepared a bush. You see what I did there? Prepared, preparing in the present tense. He was preparing a man, but he'd already prepared, past tense, a bush. For every man or woman that God is preparing, there is already a bush that God has prepared. You are the bush. You're the bush. When you invite someone to church, you're the bush. When God is trying to draw someone near to him, he's drawing them near and he will plant you in the exact spot for them to encounter because God has already prepared you. You were there long before and taken root and God knew I'm going to draw this person near to me and I have this person prepared and I'm going to plant them right where they're going to encounter them and that's going to lead them to me. When God is drawing an unbeliever to himself, he will plant you in the path of them. Because your life is more than your own preparation or selfish agenda. Sometimes God will use your whole entire life. Maybe you are 99 and God will use your whole entire life to prepare you for one moment. For somebody else to know him, to find him, to be saved, to find their destiny. God's not using your preparation for a selfish reason for yourself. Did God prepare Moses so Moses could do something for himself? God prepared Moses so he could lead an entire nation out of slavery to be delivered. God is preparing the man. He's already prepared the bush. So God's looking around in the backside of this desert. And he looked at what he could use. He looked at the landscape that's not really conducive to life. And God says, if I can find one thing that will say yes, I'm going to use it. If you're the bush, you weren't planted on accident. That means your family's not an accident. Your job is not an accident. Where you go to church is not an accident. It's not an accident that you're sitting here today. You didn't plant yourself. God planted you to prepare you. But the devil, he wants you to focus on everything going wrong around you. Everything dying, everything falling to pieces, everything in chaos. But God says, check your roots. 
Because in you, you have the roots of Jesse. You have the seed of Abraham in your life. God says, look down. Check where I planted you. Because I planted you for a purpose. And this was not a mistake. So next time you're saying, why am I here still? Maybe you're looking for a new job. And you know, you're like, man, I'm so tired of being here. Check your roots. God planted you for a reason. If you are still there, it is for a reason. Because maybe you're standing there as that, in that bush, as that bush, and there is one person that you're going to encounter, and you're going to lead them to Jesus. You're going to set them on their way to being delivered. So when you think of it that way, it changes your whole perspective. It changes everything. It's not a waste, the preparation. God said he planted the bush on purpose and then said, I'm going to use what they see to do something that they have never seen before. Did you know that this is the first time in the Bible that God would show up in fire to somebody? I mean, granted, we're only in Exodus, but it's the first time that God showed himself as fire. God's about to take you, the thing that they've seen, and do something in you he's never done so they can see something that they've never seen inside of you. God's been preparing the bush for the prepared man. And then the text says that at some point there's going to be a collision between what he's preparing and what he's prepared. So the day comes when God says, Moses, you're ready to go. Let's go, Moses. And when that moment happens, Moses is walking, and there sits the bush. And God says, okay, it's showtime. Let's go. (laughs) Moses, you've been here 40 years. It's time. God says the bush by itself won't do it. It's just a bush. There's not enough power in the bush by itself to relay the message that he needs to relay. The bush itself is not adequate to tell what he needs to tell Moses. So God says, the last thing I need to do with this bush is get in this bush and set this bush on fire. That's what God uses church services for. To find someone that says, God, use me. God, prepare me. And God will sit down inside of you. A bush on fire was not uncommon in the desert, though. It's a desert. It's not uncommon to see things on fire. It's hot. Right? So I'm sure if when people are walking by and they see a bush burning, like, oh, okay. It's a desert. So God says, I'm going to make you distinctive in the fire that you carry. You know, everything is flammable in the kingdom. Everything's flammable here on earth. And that's what the devil likes to play in. Even, like, the language today. Like, I, I'm a teacher. I teach... um sixth through eighth graders with autism, but they don't say stuff like this. But when I'm walking around in middle school, you hear like, oh, it's lit. This this song is lit. Those shoes are lit. The, that party was lit. Everything in the world, literally, even the language we use, gets set on fire. But you have to discern what fire is God and what fire is the enemy. The latest, like, pop song on the radio, Beyonce, might make you burn. The movie you're not, you know that you shouldn't be watching, might make you burn. But what kind of burning is it? By the time it gets done burning in your life, there will be nothing left of you. But God says, when I get in your life and I start burning, this is the difference between that fire and my fire. You'll burn, but it won't destroy you. You'll be better than before. You'll be more powerful than before. Because the bush burned, but it was destro- but it was not destroyed, even though it had been set on fire. So when God got in the bush, here comes Moses, and Moses looked at it. Because you always have an audience when you burn, right? Whether you're burning for good or you're burning for bad. Someone's always going to be watching. Because, right, like, man, look at this person. I'm going to watch. Always going to have an audience. Are you content with letting them see you go down in flames? Or are you the person who says, no, I want to go up in flames? Will you be the one that the enemy burns down? 
Are you, will you be the one that by the power of God just goes up, 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 up in flames? Church, that was pathetic again. Are you going to be burnt down in flames by the enemy? Or are you going to go up in flames by the power of God? That's better. So Moses looks at the bush and sees that it's burning differently, uniquely. So he, it says he turned aside to see why the bush did not burn. But it was only when Moses turned that God started speaking. When you get ready to be used by God, don't worry about the words. God will speak through you. God knew exactly what Moses needed to hear. God will take your life and speak through it the exact things that people need to hear. So when you're driving by that hospital, wondering, man, I wonder who's gotten prayed for in there. And you're thinking, I'm not good at praying. Like, I don't know what to say. Just by going in there and saying, God, I trust you. I know your fire's in me. Open your mouth. God will put the right words in your mouth. When you're at Publix or Walmart and you see someone that's in trouble and you know, let me, let me witness to them. God will tell you what to say. You think that my little boy in kids' church, you think God told them what to say on the playground? He knew. He knew. Man, if my teacher finds out, I'm probably going to get in trouble. But he did it anyway because he said, God, I trust you. I know my job. I know what I'm called here to do. And God gave him the right words to say. He's been talking to that little girl. Who knows? Who knows? He was that bush. God was drawing that little girl to him. And he put William right in the way. A little kid that God has already prepared. He's prepared him. Maybe just for that one moment. I doubt it was just for that moment. Because if you know this little boy, you know, he's going to do some really big things for God. That little boy is going to be a preacher. But for that moment, William knew he was rooted. He knew, God, I'm going to talk to this little girl. I'm going to tell her about Jesus at recess. And he didn't stop. He still does it. He still does it. So Moses walks to a burning bush, and God begins to speak. And all of a sudden, Moses' life makes sense. Everything that's ever happened to him like that makes sense. One submitted bush that gave its life for the plans of God. And the greatest deliverer in the Bible was birthed in one moment. Who has God been trying to use that your life has not been submitted enough to be used for them to touch? Who is waiting on you to submit yourself and burn? God will light the fire if you'll just give up the bush. If you'll submit who you are, he'll set you on fire for them. And this is my last point. Most of us in this room don't have enough souls to our name for years that we've lived. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. We don't like to hear it. But think of your age. Most of us do not have enough souls to our name for years that we have been alive. I know that's a hard truth to hear, but it's true. But it's true. If you're a 99 and you said, man, maybe I let one person to Jesus. That's the problem that we have in the world. We don't have enough people that will say, yes, I will submit myself. I will be the bush. I will burn. God, come sit down inside of me. Show me what you want to do. That is our purpose. God just didn't call me to make disciples of all nations. He said, everyone go and make disciples. It's not just my job. It's not just Pastor Kevin's job. It's not just Pastor Marvin's job to go out and evangelize and tell people about Jesus. If a little 10-year-old boy can do it at recess, so can you. Don't be that number. Try and strive for saving as many souls as your age. If you're 85, you still got time. You still got time. As long as you're living and breathing, you still got an opportunity. Most of us in this room don't have enough, enough souls. We want the glory. We want the power. 
We want the anointing. But for what? For what? You say, God, anoint me. God, give me that power. Give me that. Give me that strength. Why? For what? God will not light you on fire for yourself because you cannot be your own cause. You can't. God's not going to light you on fire just for you. Did God use Moses just for himself? No. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't decide, you know, and he was walking to Calvary? Yeah, you know, I'm done. I did my job. I'm going to do something for me now. I'm just going to disappear off the cross. What if Jesus decided to do that for himself? He said, I've got all the power. I'm going to use it for me. Aren't you thankful that Jesus loves you so much that he decided, no, 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 no. I'm going to die for them because I love them so much. You can't be your own cause. So if you're praying, God, anoint me, God, fill me, God, use me. And it's just me, 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 me. Why would God do it? But it's when you start saying, God, burn in me for every person in my family. God, burn in me for every person in my community, every person in my job, my my spouse that doesn't know you, my kids that have walked away from you. Burn in me for them. So I want you to stand up. This is it. I'm done. I promise I'm done. I want you to look at your life. Examine your life. Are you submitted? You're the bush. You've been planted. You're here for a purpose. You have deep roots. God planted you in the exact spot that he needed you, but he won't use you until you've submitted. What good is a bush if it's not on fire? The bush in the desert alone wasn't enough to turn Moses' head. It had to be on fire. People see bushes. People see normal people every day. But what sets you apart is the fire of God that burns up in you. We are lit up as Christians. But we have to submit the bush. So reflect for a minute. Think about all the parts in your life. Is God still preparing you? Are you still in preparation? Are you still in the backside of the desert? If you are, you need to praise him that God is preparing you. When everything is in chaos, praise him. If you say, no, God, I know that you've prepared me. I submit everything that I have to you. God, I don't want to go down in flames. I want to go up in flames. I want people to walk by and look and say, how are they so on fire? And they're not burning. They're not burning to the ground. Do we have anyone in here that says, yes, God. Use me. Use me for them. Burn in me for them. If you're, if you're in here and you say, God, I submit the bush, come and sit down inside of me. Set me on fire. I will burn for you, but I will burn for them. I'll burn for them out there in the world that don't know you. We don't need to burn for the people in here. We don't need to burn for the person who sits next to you on your pew every week. Your job is to burn together. For those outside of these four walls. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. I'm not going to call everyone up here. Because this is something that's between you and God. It's not my job to say that you're submitting. That's something that's between you and God. So right now, I want you to pray. Pray out loud. Pray in your head. Pray in the language that God gave you. If you are ready to submit. And I guarantee the second that you do. You will feel God set you on fire. But if you're on fire, your job is not done. When you walk out these doors, that's when your job begins. That's when it begins. So it's a big decision to make. You can sit there in the desert and just be a normal bush. People will walk by and they won't think anything of it. Or you can take this opportunity right now and submit And you better believe that God will do it in this second. You'll feel it. I pray that the Holy Spirit will just come down right now. Set you on fire like he did on Pentecost. And you'll be so passionate that you'll unlock your purpose. You'll know what you're going to do. And you will run out of here. 
and you're going to go do it. If you need preparation, then you're still going to keep walking in it. And that's okay because it's not time wasted because you're going to get to that point where God's going to say, it's showtime. It's showtime. You're ready to go. Just submit. And this is a tough message because we don't like to hear it. We don't like to hear that we just can't be comfortable and sit in church on a Sunday and sit on church on a Wednesday and call ourselves good Christians. You got to take the fire out. That's our job. So I'll give you about 10 more seconds to take the opportunity to say, God, I submit myself. Light me up. Light us up, God. Light us up in this community to be like the biggest lighthouse. That when people walk by this church, their heads will turn because they'll not be able to not only see us burning, they'll be able to feel it too. And they'll come in. In the community, in your workplace, your coworkers will turn because they can see the fire of God in you and all around you. And I pray that you take that opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus to them. God, we thank you for today. God, thank you for planting us where you've planted us. Thank you that you saw this time in the earth's timeline and said, this is what I'm going to use these people for. I've called them for this specific purpose. God, I pray that everyone, they unlock their passion, that they find their purpose. And God, when they do, when they get to that place of preparation, God, that they thank you for it, that they don't let the chaos overwhelm them, that they're able to discern between the fire of this world and the fire that is you. And God, when that time comes for them to totally submit themselves, that God, you set them up in flames. Don't let the devil burn them down, but let their fire keep going up, 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 up in flames to this community, to their families, to the world. God, I thank you for everything you've done today, everything you're going to continue to do. God, I pray for pastor that you keep him safe on his way home. And then when he comes back, he'll bring a super powerful word. God, that we can just continue to burn. And through that burning, God, we'll get to that as many souls saved as years that I've been alive. God, let that be our passion. That if we have an 85-year-old God, that their goal will be to save 85 souls, to bring 85 souls into the kingdom. God, a little 10-year-old boy, he's already got his goal set, that he's going to bring people to Jesus. God, I pray that everyone stays healthy, that there's sickness going around like crazy. God, I pray that your hedge of protection over everyone that they can use this opportunity to pray for the sick, to pray for the sick, that they know that God's got them and God will heal them. God, thank you for all you, who you are, everything you've done, everything you're going to continue to do. God bless the rest of the day. Keep that hurricane away. We don't need anyone putting up, having to put up shutters or rush into the store. God, I pray for everyone that's in its path. But God, I pray that you would just push it away from here like you've been doing. God, that it would just dissipate. They say it's going to be a category four, but God, you got the power over the wind and the waves and the weather that you just dissipate it right now. And nobody would even have to worry about it. God, thank you for everything you've done today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said amen. All right, church, we'll see you Wednesday at 7 o'clock.